UFOD. My name is Mike. I am joined by my good friend, Mr. Drunkard, STL on the Twitters. Hello. And guys, the king of pranks, the albino alligator, the popcorn bitch, Mr. Travis Hulse is here. Hey, hello. Travis, hello, hello, hello. My, uh, my buddy drunk here, I think he's thirsty. <laughs> and it is diet month. Um... And so he'll probably just take a sip and then continue to be thirsty. <laughs> you, you know what you got to do, drunk? You need to bring like a little, like a little, like airplane bottle of like rum or something, so you can actually suck down the rest of the cola. <laughs> like suck out just enough to put a shot in, and then you won't even notice the uh, yeah. diet flavor. Uh, he's got like a peanut butter whiskey up here or something. I mean, drunk's the king of cola. King of cola. Diet months. <laughs> it's been sitting in the refrigerator, just staring in the door in my face. Drunk has his own uh, uh, door shelf, uh, Travis, with all the in your, in your refrigerator, and it's at eye level. So every time Drunk <laughs> opens it, that Zevia diet cola is staring him right it in the says, face. It says Zevia zero sugar soda. Yeah, this so one's you gonna know, be bad. You, you know what's on cola. deck for, for like the next handful of weeks just by opening the fridge and seeing your shelves. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm glad I'm glad that uh, he's going to knock some of these out, Travis, because after my trip to Kansas City, like I'm stacking them on top of the fridge now. I can't even fit all these colas in there. Price, you got to do a one for one swap. I like some of the pineapple ones. He needs to start drinking. Yeah, I need to drink. I could just afford to drink some more colas, I guess. I've been I've been putting some of that uh, that sheepy peanut butter screwball stuff in my colas lately. That's pretty good. Is that good? Peanut butter cola? Yeah, I make me a uh, a nice bubble bath, Travis. I get the the peanut butter whiskey. And I put that in my in my cola, and I uh, do you, you know, do you use some an, of these do, shows? Do you uh, use a special bubble bath glass to make your mix? No, 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 no. Just all right. He did the sign of the cross, Travis. He's ready for this diet cola. Ooh, it's a skinny can too. He gave it a pretty good swig, actually. And chicken. One, one seven. One seven. What did he give the other one? Did he give that a one four or a like one, a one six? One six. So he gave ZV it a one six. A little bit better than the probiotic one. Not much. By I one. yeah, <laughs> man. You 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 show me two colas and one of them's a probiotic organic one that you bought from the salad section, <laughs> and I'm probably going for the opposite. <laughs> Guys, coming up after the break, we are going to be talking to a. Uh, uh, John Darneal, he is the uh, front man of the band The Mountain Goats. Uh, that's a big one, Travis. He, The Mountain Goats, I like The Mountain Goats a lot. And so that was teetering really close to the edge of, I don't want to talk to this person. You know what I mean? Oh, one of, yeah, one of those, uh, remember when you did this thing? That was awesome. But spoiler alert, Travis, John Darneal, fucking awesome. I want to talk about Pablo Escobar, Travis. I have good uh, Pablo Escobar news, and I also have a hockey story. Don't know which one I want to share with you first. Uh, I'm exci- God, excited about both of them. That Pablo Escobar, you're going to make me want to watch Narcos again, aren't you? <laughs> Drunk lost his soundboard, Travis. It stopped working. <laughs> now, Travis, I heard an interesting story the other day. Now, Pablo Escobar was murdered. By the CIA. And when he was murdered, well, a Navy SEAL team, the uh, government came to his house and found like a shitload of animals, had giraffes. Pablo had all kinds of shit. And most of you got to do, do something with all that money. Like you can only buy so many cars <laughs> and shit. You got to get what everybody else. Uh, here is my personal zoo. Yeah, so he just had more money than God, and he was spending it on exotic animals. And uh, here. The state took over Hacienda Napoles after Escobar's death in 1993. And most of the animals got transferred to zoos around the country. But the hippos were too difficult to capture, and the herd had grown to 16 by then. So they were left at the pond, assuming that they would stay there and would eventually die out. But they didn't. So Travis, he had four. Hippos. He had four hippos. He had three girls and a boy. This, and, I love this already. You don't know about this? No, oh, but Travis, I love I'm it so already. The fact, to tell you about this. the fact that they were like, "Oh, his herd grew from four to 16 They'll probably die out eventually if we just leave them here." He said, "They said, fuck it. They're too heavy. What are we gonna <laughs> do with these uh, these hippos?' Right?" So, yeah, Travis, a four became 16. (laughs) The local agencies failed to realize that Hacienda Napoles was very close to the Magdalena River, the largest river in Colombia, and a perfect habitat for hippos. 
<laughs> a few years later, the cocaine hippos found the Magdalena and spread through it. With no dry season or natural predators, their population ballooned. So this leads me to a game, Travis. <sighs> oh my God! I love that she called them cocaine hippos. <laughs> the the cocaine hippos. So they're not native the to Colombia. No, that's an invasive no, species. Pablo brought them. They're like squirrels. They're they gotta they they gotta change the uh, they gotta change the genus in like any of those animal like encyclopedias that they may have, where it's like a subspecies of hippo. These are the cocaine the coca coca hippos. <laughs> Drunk, you want to play a game? Uh, so, uh, yeah, always. Pablo had a cocaine zoo, E-I-E-I-O. And on his zoo, he had hippos, H-I-P-P-O. Well, four became 16, now they don't know what to do. There's not supposed to be hippos in Colombia. How many hippos are there now? H-I-P-P-O. So the way this game is played, Travis... We're going to do Price is Right rules. You and Drunk are both going to guess. How many hippos are in Colombia now? Can I, can I ask a question? Okay. Yeah, I need a question, too. What, okay. what Go year drunk. did Pablo Escobar die? 93. And that's when he had 16, right? No, he had four. Okay. So, oh, so he had four. When, when, when was it 16? Soon after, when they got to the river. They just started fucking like crazy. 9303. Uh, and the government was just like, ah, they'll die. So 30 years from 16. 1,200. 1,200. You think, he, you think he's high or low, Travis? This is Price is Right rules, he said? Yeah. yeah. One hippo. <laughs> <laughs> Today, there are an estimated 160 hippos as far as 100 oh my kilometers God, away from where they were first introduced at Pablo Escobar's private zoo. Hippos. I am not shitting you. I was going to say 168. I would have lost because it would have been over, but that's 100% what I was going to say was 168 because I was, I was doing say, like the you, multiples. You almost got 500 bucks in your now, pocket. When, you, when you're talking about 160 <laughs> hippos drunk, that's a lot of hippos. See, you could have killed 16 hippos and been fine. Shot them in the head, right? You can't kill 168 hippos. Well, that's the problem we're having right now. I don't know if you guys saw with these uh, feral pigs that are coming down from Canada. Uh, there was uh, those, these those feral are pigs everywhere. There's a problem with that in southeast Missouri or southwest. That's Missouri. the thing, though, that they're, so they're saying they're, they're growing exponentially and people can't get rid of them. And like they're migrating to all these states where they don't belong and they're fucking everybody's shit up and they're just like banging and banging and banging and banging. And now every single state's going to have a problem with these wild boars. It's the same deal. We should have put them down before uh, it got to this point. Hippo hippos aren't in danger. Well, that's funny too because you're not allowed to shoot them in Missouri. You can only trap them. Hippos? No. Oh, I was going to say there wild, isn't any. So that's not a problem. I, just, I, I don't encounter any hippos to kill. There's hippos try, try to trap a hippo. Holy hell. Yeah, the zoo's got like at least three of them. Yeah, guys, what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to uh, John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. They have a new album uh, out called uh, "Jenny from Thebes." Uh, check that out. Check it out when they're on tour. Uh, Mountain Goats.com. <laughs> Stick around. We'll be right back. Dub Fod goes hard. <laughs>
to be witty and shit and nasty with my buddies. Kristen is a 24-year-old female who thinks she's meeting a 29-year-old male she met on a dating app, but little does she know, there are 22 hidden cameras trained on her table. Hello. Hi. This place is nice. Have you ever been here before? No, never. Can I just say... You're much prettier than in your profile picture. Oh, thank you. You're dead. (laughs) (laughs) You're next. Oh my god. I'm gonna get you next, bitch. Please don't hurt me. I'm not gonna hurt you. You are my prank show. I'm Stabby McCoy. There's cameras there, there, there. There's cameras every fucking where. Is, is he okay? Okay? No, he's dead. But you should have seen your face. <laughs> Stabby McCoy's Hidden Camera Murder Show. Here he is again with another one of his amazing animal facts. Drunk! 
an octopus has three hearts. Once again, WFOD, wheelbarrow full of dicks. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is the frontman of rock and roll band The Mountain Goats. Their new album is called Jenny from Thebes, and it's available now wherever you get music. Guys, John Darneal is on the program. What's happening? What's going on, man? John, I got like 15, 20 minutes with you. Is that good? Sounds good. Am I supposed to be recording my end? No, no, no. I got it. Oh, that rules. I love you already. You're my favorite person I've ever born. Do you have to record a lot of times? So this is the thing. That's it's annoying. like there, there's an article to be written somewhere about how <laughs> being interviewed was altered permanently by the pandemic. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, cause being interviewed used to mean picking up your phone <laughs> that you would talk to somebody. Sure. Yeah. And uh, the pandemic, everybody went to zoom and zoom like, changed everything. And I would say 90%, but you didn't hear this from me because I don't <laughs> want you to get any ideas. <laughs> 90% of the interviews I do now, I have to record my end on whatever recording software I have uh, and then save it and upload it to a Dropbox and send it, which, you know, it's not the greatest hardship in the world, but it also is just an extra thing to keep track of. Yeah, it's, I, I guess they, they know that you're good for it, right? You, you well, I mean, everybody, yourself, this is right? the thing is like, this is, it's extremely common now. It's like, it's a, there's Zencaster, I think didn't catch on, which is a, a software that can record both sides and then you grab it from them. But yeah, so it's like the most common thing to go, can you record your side? The upside of it is it means that like, if there's a blip and you miss something that I say, you know, well, I have a good recording of it here. So that's less likely to happen. So it really, it's probably a net positive, but if you are a busy and distractible person, it just adds another thing to the mix. My my dogs have been well-behaved for the last hour and they decided now is... You, you can hear that, I'm sure. Because they know I like dogs. They, <laughs> they heard my voice, and they're like, hey, it's our, it's our dude, and we would like to say hi to him. John, I, I don't know why you're the person that I felt this was a, a good topic to bring up, but you fall into the category of, uh, we've been doing this a long time, and we kind of run like this weird tightrope act where we try to avoid talking to people who's music and movies or whatever like we really really like because we're worried that if we have a bad experience with them it'll ruin it does that make sense (laughs) yeah oh yeah no i totally get that i mean like look that's common in the entertainment business and in literature too that you know you, you form an idea about the person you want to talk to and it's not even it's not even necessarily if they're uncool it's just that you know right uh you you construct a fake person around the 
around the stuff that you've enjoyed. It's almost always a completely fake person. It's almost uh, like when I hear something that I really like, it's like, oh, well, I, I need to not know anything about that person. Yeah, most I, people don't feel that way in this day and age. People really feel that they do know, uh, in part because social media and just in part because of how art works. It's it's an it is an interesting question, uh, but it's something that people are are often very reluctant to let go of their illusions about. In a world now where you follow everybody on Twitter and stuff, you just kind of end up knowing everything about them. And well, you maybe don't. That isn't is good. Thing. That's that's only a side. Everything is presentation, right? It's like yeah, I, I guess that's true. You know what the performance like even even is. with people who relentlessly overshare, you know a sliver of what's true about them. I mean, you know, I mean, this is a big existential question. Like, how much can you really know another person anyway? Right. Even if you know, even if you have an intimate, lifelong relationship, you only know a part of them. You know, we're icebergs. Most of us is submerged. <laughs> it, is the faucet always on with you? Because it seems like you're you're putting out stuff at like a rapid rate. Or is are is other people holding stuff back? Or do you write really fast? I mean, I probably write fast, but I know a lot of people who write a lot more than I do, uh, and I write more than people see. Is you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't wind up getting used. I have a I have a line about this, you know, and that is that if I if I worked eight hours a day making benches, because I'm a bench maker, yeah, you wouldn't think I was massively productive if I made a bench <laughs> a week, right? You would go, sure. no, well, you work eight hours a day. You go to the workshop every day. One bench isn't asking that much. Well, shoot, man, I don't work eight hours a day writing, but I probably work an hour or two every day. How much should I produce if I work two to three hours a day, five days a week? So is is that how you usually do it, two or three hours a day? I'm working all the time. I mean, it's like, and the thing is, it's not even, it's not in an eight hour day. If I get an idea after 5 PM, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll do something about it then too. You know? Uh, so it, it really is. I think there's people have, this actually plays to talk about how well, you know, people also, it's like yeah. people bring an idea about making art that you have to wait for the lightning bolt to hit you in the forehead. And then you will be inspired for a limited amount of time. And then you will have to revise that thing endlessly well, mate, you can. That's one way of doing it. But I view art as work, yeah. right? Uh, and I, you know, and, and so I'm, you don't, you don't sit. I guess you probably do sometimes. I don't want to generalize and say that's you know never your process. But I'm saying like, it, it, I guess sometimes you have an idea when you're checking out at the grocery store, and you just like get out your phone and write a lyric down or something. Yeah, as opposed yeah, to like absolutely. having set hours where you sit down and this is my writing time. Yeah, some people now there's there's a lot of writers who keep office hours and when you're writing a novel that's really useful to do to say uh I'm going to I'm going to report to the to the laptop at a given place at 10 a.m. every day for a set amount of weeks or months that's really useful and good practice generally speaking with prose with songs because they're shorter and smaller and more capricious and 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 the form is so fluid you could really, you know, yeah, the grocery store is a good example, you know, or I could be talking to you and you might say something that you might flip a phrase that I like and I write it down and, and use it later. Like, but if I open my notes app, what do I have? I have where I parked at the airport last time. <laughs> I have some people who might work on the kitchen countertop. Uh, and then I have uh, a note that says robotic mosquito dream, right? Well, I, I wound up calling a tour that I think. The uh, robotic mosquito dream? Yeah, I, I, gave, I gave the tour that title, I think, at some point. Um, but it, anywhere in my notes app, I'll have any number of of notes and stuff. Uh, what's that say? 
Oh, wow. 2015. She sold high and moved back to Tama. That wound up being a, a thing I used in Universal Harvester. So, I mean, there, there's so many... On and, a given day, the the amount of language that you absorb, you know, is is immense. It's and like so do, have, you, do you build a whole story kind of around that one line? Like you have that one so that, line? I was already working on that book when I wrote that. Okay. Uh, and that was a phrase I liked, right? Um, but then like the next note in it after that is... Says, Corsican Mastiff Blues slash Suffle Shuffle slash Sutra slash Lament slash Question Mark. Well, that becomes Corsican Mastiff Stride, which is a song on getting into knives, right? Uh, that we opened a whole tour with for a year. But that's the genesis of that was a Corsican Mastiff something, you know, Lament. Lament sounds more like a poem, right? Sutra. I already have a song called Acceptable Damages Sutra, and I'm not looking to do a whole album of sutras, so that was thrown out. <laughs> blues, you got to be careful with blues, right? So Shuffle didn't seem right. Stride. I, I landed on Stride and I wrote it, right? So, Do you have a good knowledge of the things that you've put out? Like you could just recall what the lyric ended up in. Like, do, I mean, do you sometimes hear something that you made and say, I don't remember making that? I mean, I don't remember the process of making most of it, right? Uh, the the process of writing it kind of happens in a haze, although I will sometimes remember, you know, like I remember when I was writing a lot of what became uh, In League with Dragons and then also uh, um, Bleed Out, you know, I was writing this with kids in the house. So I remember my wife sort of running interference for me so that I could finish <laughs> writing a song, you know, Uh but uh but so you can kind of remember the atmosphere surrounding writing it sometimes it varies i i don't I, like i don't remember where i was sitting when i wrote the song getting into knives i remember having the idea for the title but i mean i write most of the songs here in the house so it's like like, like i remember being in the house <laughs> but but, <laughs> but i don't i don't usually have specific sense memories of writing them not usually sometimes if the, if the song takes longer to put together i'll, I'll remember stuff about it so when you started making music you were just doing it by yourself and yeah. it kind of ha- as things have gone on they've gotten bigger and bigger was that by right. design or is that just kind of how it happened well so uh i was making stuff by myself and then i knew these women who sang harmony and i had a song i thought was funny and they were friends and uh so i got them to come over to the house and put some harmonies down and it was really hilarious i was writing a lot of funnier songs at that time and I wound up working with one of them, Rachel, as my bassist, uh, more consistently, right? And what you learn when you play music with other people is it's, it's generally more rewarding than playing by yourself, just from a musical standpoint. Um, is that because they bring ideas to the table, or is that just yeah, because no, because they... things happen that you don't have control over? Yeah, I mean, I guess okay. control freaks, that's not true. But I'm not like that. It's like when when somebody else plays, they bring their own voice, and and the thing you made becomes better and bigger and different and goes places that you wouldn't that you yourself could not be able. So to you're do not, it. you're not particularly like, a uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, dictatorial. Yeah. Like you want it to be a certain way. And if it doesn't turn out the way you like it, then no, you can I don't let really go understand of it. that way of thinking in, in terms of music. I yeah. mean, sometimes I'll say like the example I use is like with Peter, he'll maybe write a part and I will say, I kind of hear straight eights here. I don't know if you play, but like, you know, um, eights, bum, 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 right? Instead of bum, da-dum, something jazzier like that. And I might have a song where I go, I know it's not interesting to play, but I kind of hear something that goes more like bum, 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 bum. And he'll usually almost every time go, 
really? And I'll go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I know because what you're playing is cool, but, but like, I think, I think I hear something more boring in this song, you know, something more just nailed to the floor, you know, and he'll go, okay, well, what if I do this? And he'll go bump, bump, bump and skip one of them or something yeah. and make it more interesting for himself. You know, so we'll have conversations like that, but for the most part, it's much more interesting to me if the musicians I'm working with have their own ideas. And even if I don't like it, if I try and sort of incorporate what they're doing and what I'm doing, remain flexible because music is, is magic, you know, it's like, and it's more magical when musicians have freedom to express instead of having to just do something I tell them to do, which we, I mean, to me, a musician doing what I tell them to do is the least possible interesting, <laughs> the least interesting iteration of what we could do together. Do you get somewhere where, uh, people aren't maybe servicing the song and they're just trying to hot shot. I mean, not so much. We're a band, you know, it's yeah, like we're right, all serving right. the songs. Um, you could get that, uh, but it, it goes away. Everybody, you know, we're pretty locked in. We, we've we been working together for a long time together. Even Matt's the new guy, but he's been there for like a decade or something, uh, you know, seven years. So, yeah, no, we don't really have that problem. <laughs> like, you know, if we did, Matt would be the only one who would, you know, Matt and John, I mean, they both have the chops to to do something like that, but it's not that kind of environment. So you know? early and on, you, you did. I would like it. Is the thing. You collaborated with a whole bunch of people, but this current lineup, you, you're kind of locked in at this point now. You, Yeah, I mean, it's it builds. It's been building slowly is the thing. Peter yeah. replaced Rachel on a tour in 95 and then became the full time bassist in 2001. Uh, and and then six years later, we added John Worcester, and we were a trio for a while. And then Matt came along in 2013, I think. And, um, you know, and then who knows? Maybe we get an oboe player in a couple of years. I'm right. Sure. I, I was going to say, you, uh, do you need like a didgeridoo guy? You need somebody else to add I don't in there. I'm not the dig, but, uh, <laughs> but when I, you know, oboes, glass harmonicas, you know, somebody... Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a Sicilian instrument that's like a wind instrument that's really hip, but but uh, but no, I mean, who, who knows? For, a quartet is really a good work, working functional thing. Every person you add changes the math. We actually are touring as a quintet right now with Issa uh, playing violin and second guitar, and that's it's really awesome. I mean, the thing is, like, if you're not limited by budget, and we are limited somewhat by budget, but like, if you could take out twelve people, why wouldn't you? It's like that. Sure, yeah. More is kind of better in a lot of ways. It's really cool, you know. And this is a sequel album. The new is it Thebes? Jenny from Thebes? Is that that's you, correct? I, I googled that, by the way. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sequel album, right? Uh, like yes, characters. It's a, it's make a, their it's way well, back. It, it's a sequel. It, it takes a character who was on All Hail West Texas and in a couple of other songs and expands. It it, it, write, it builds a story around her. Do you, do you do anything with that? Like if they made a Hey There Delilah TV show. Can can we right. make a Jenny TV show? Can we? I wouldn't be interested. Here's the thing. I'm a father of two. Yeah. So if like if somebody's listening to this who has like, you know, a budget from God is, oh, this sounds like a great <laughs> idea. You know, I would absolutely go to the meeting. But but. I'm not, I don't usually see things that way, except this stuff is, these songs are considerably more show tuny than I usually write. Like they have longer developments. They have more interesting stuff going on chordally and melodically than some of my stuff does. Although I can show you songs in the catalog, like fire editorial from beat the champ, like um, maybe if a powerful animal comes from uh uh, dark in here, stuff where I've been leaning that direction, right? But this one really sort of 
leans into. I want to write stuff that has catchy melodies that develops where the song doesn't just go verse, chorus, verse, but that goes somewhere interesting and fun. Uh, and that's Broadway stuff. Broadway songs are a little chewier than other songs. I mean, you th- may think of Broadway in terms of like how showy it is, but what's usually going on song-wise is it's complex enough to keep you drawn in, right? The songs tend to, to not just be verse, chorus, verse. And I'm really interested in those right now. This song, I think, would play well as a Broadway play. So I'd be interested if if somebody wanted to talk about that. Probably not going to happen. It costs crazy amounts of money to launch something on Broadway. But I think about that with these songs. So more you go more the Broadway way then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the great white way. Yeah. Is that what you mean by chewier is is more complex? More. Yeah, yeah. You know, more a little denser. And the thing is, like a good Broadway song, you don't even notice that that's what's going on. Right. It's like they are very catchy. They're very singable. Right. Sondheim is sort of the classic example of where anybody who listens to Sondheim song goes, oh, this is a little more complex. There's more stuff going on. The melodies are, are a little, you know, maybe a little more ambiguous. Right. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's okay. what you want from a stage production is is not just one feeling, but a density of feeling. Right. Rock and roll often wants to sell you exactly a feeling. When you hear the smoke on the water riff. You know, we don't we're not gonna argue about what that riff feels like. We have the same feeling. That's part of the value of rock music, right? But with Broadway tunes, often there's this density of feeling in the melody that complicates the lyric sometimes, right? Like in you, you should interrupt if you want to, because this is stuff I will go on about all day. <laughs> uh but like in Oklahoma. Okay. Right? Um if you listen to I'm just a girl who can't say no, do you know this tune? I don't think so, no. I'm just a girl who can't say no. I'm in terrible fix. I always say, come on, let's go. Just when I ought to say nicks. When a fell, I'm singing in the wrong rhythm. When a feller tries to kiss a girl, I know she ought to give his face a smack. But as soon as someone kisses me, I somehow sort of want to kiss him back. Right. And, okay. And this is a song about the fallen woman in the play, right? Who, who she just goes ahead and kisses people because she feels <laughs> something. And the song has this happy, clunky melody, right? But the character is is complex, right? That's because that's who most of us really are, is the one who, if we get kissed, we don't want to say no, right? We, we understand that feeling, right? And And having the melody sort of join in a sort of mockery of the character is a complex move when the character is somebody you know on the stage, right? Somebody who you're sort of rooting for in a way. Uh, and that's the sort of, complex dynamic that goes on with Broadway lyrics and, and, and melodies, I think. I'm going to go watch Oklahoma now, I think, John. Oh, it has, it, it has the it, most amazing it. payoff because it's filthy. It's like utterly it's like <laughs> 1952, and, it, and you can't even believe it. It's the, all uh, implied, I guess? Well, just barely, because the lyric in the next bridge is, um, for a while I act all calm and cool, a setting on the velveteen settee. Uh Oh, what is it? I'm going to get this right. Uh, right, I said, and on the velveteen settee. Then I, uh, then I think of that old golden rule, and do for him what he would do for me. Right? <laughs> it's that's filthy. That is filthy. <laughs> right? And uh, 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 it, you know, uh, as soon as I sit on their laps, something inside of me snaps. Right. These are these are very subtly risque. Right. And that's the whole nature of Broadway is that is that like you can say all these things and have like plausible deniability for what you were talking about. But in fact, we all know what you're talking about. Right? A little wink. In there. In, saying it without saying it. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's and it's really 
I mean, that's the thing about, about, about Broadway is that you can say a lot of things in the space of a single production. You have the story, you have the songs, you have the actors, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in it. And so with this record, I sort of tried, I don't know how much I hit it, but I, I was trying to write at that sort of level of complexity. And I think Fresh Tattoo, I, I I get it. Like that, that's the one I'm proudest of. It, was that the one with uh, Matt Nathanson? Is that famous? Matt sings harmonies on that. Yeah, the, famous uh, artist Matt Nathanson I'll, or some other. I guy would be remembering that on my deathbed because Matt, I wouldn't be here without Matt. Uh, Matt ran the open mic night where I got my start. Is that true? Oh, one hundred percent. I would not be talking to you without Matt Nathanson, uh, and I want the world to know. It's like I showed up. I had a day job. I worked as a psych nurse. And I had, but I was going to college and I saw the flyer about an open mic night. I was writing these songs. I was like, well, I'll go to this thing, right? And if everybody thinks it sucks, I'll know and I'll just stop, you know? <laughs> and I, but I showed up late because I worked three to 11 and the open mic night was like 10 to 12, I think, you know, is college. And so you just bring eight, the guitar well, with you, have it in the car? I brought a guitar from, I lived in Norwalk and I drove to Claremont. So it was an hour after I got off work, right? And I got off work a little early. I got off around 11 and I, I got on the freeway. I took the 60 to the 57 to the 10 and I went up to Pitzer and it was about 1130 when I got to the Grove house. And this guy, kid to me, because I was like 24 at the time, and this is 19 year old. And you know how you feel much older when you're 24, right? And so, sure. so this guy was saying, well, I guess if nobody else has anything, we'll call it a night. And I said, oh, I, I got something. Said, oh, cool. Who are you? I said, I'm John, but I call myself the Mountain Goats. And 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 he said, Mountain Goats. Said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I sat down and played like three songs. And he came up and said, you have to come back next week. Yeah, and Matt's a very, I don't know if you've met Matt, but he's a very effusive, one of the realest people you ever meet. One of the greatest people alive, in my opinion. And, uh, uh, and, and he said, oh, come back next week. Do this. You know, get it here earlier. There's more people. I said, well, I, I don't have Sunday nights off, but, uh, you know, I might be switching to AM shift. But I wound up going every week for a year or so. And the open mic night became a big attraction at Pitzer. It became a big thing. Uh, and it's, it was very crowded. It would be, you know, crowds spilling over onto the porch of the building. And Matt's career went his way and mine went mine. And we've crossed paths occasionally over the years. And I was working on that song in December. It was a song that took longer to put together. And I thought, man, I want to share this with Matt because I know Matt will tell me it's good because I'm proud of it. And I want to hear that. And I, I was like... And I want Matt to sing on it, you know, and we started putting it together. So that's really good. So he hasn't worked with you before other than open mic. Just on the open mic night. Starting and out, huh? we played a show in 2007. We went back to Pitzer and played a surprise show together. <laughs> that's really and cool. And he was, uh, he, he his, his star was in Ascension. Then he was like a bunch of people showed up who really knew his stuff well. And I didn't even know that was going on with him. And, uh, uh, and it was great. And we had a great time. And we, we really... You know, there's something about the people you met when you were younger that if you don't see each other for a long time, when you meet back up, it's really just like you just pick the thread back up, you know, and uh, and and we're very similar people in a lot of ways. He's, uh, he's I, I went and had uh, lunch with him when I was in San Francisco a month ago and we had a great conversation. I mean, seriously, like Matt is just he's one of the people that if you have Matt in your life, you're lucky. He's just a good, good dude. John, where should I send people? Are you going out on tour soon? Should I send people yes. just to the mountaingoats.com? Um, you can send them to the second Raleigh show if you want. I'm playing solo shows next week, but the first one is sold out. Second one is on the 25th. There's some tickets left. After that, we're doing a Northeastern tour that starts in Greensboro, but heads quickly up to Delaware the next night. They can all go to the website, mountain-goats.com, you know, very catchy Earl there, goats.com <laughs> and check things out. Or there's an Instagram, Mountain Goats Music. 
John, thanks for your time, man. I, I appreciate you talking to you. Lo- love the the new album. The old, new album's great. They're all great, John. Oh, you're very kind. The Thank you so much. On, man. Yeah, I had a good time. Take care. Good to meet you. Good to meet you too, man. Bye. Bye-bye. Are you are you a mountain goats guy or are you not? You'd probably like them if you I, yeah. I mean, after the conversation, uh, hearing the conversation, I will be now. Like I'm not familiar, but uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm I'll be, I'd be into it. I'm gonna send you some mountain goats, Travis. I think. Yeah, send me some mountain. I think goats. that you'll be into them, uh, Travis. I want to tell you about Corey Perry. You're not a hockey guy, so this will all be fresh information for you. Correct. Now, Travis, there's a uh, hot prospect for the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. The, the, the next uh, Connor McDavid. They consider him, uh, his, his name's up, Bedard, Bedard. And he's an 18-year-old kid. He was first overall pick. They're really hot on this kid. They think that he's going to be a big deal, right? Is this the kid that they were talking about when he was like already, like, when he was like 15, 16, saying, Jesus Christ, this kid's going to be amazing? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, so this is his first year in Chicago. He's already doing quite well. And there's another player on the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, Travis, a 38-year-old Corey Perry. Now, Corey okay. Perry played for the Anaheim Ducks for over a decade. Long time. And now he's in his Brett Favre years where he's signing one-year deals and they're just trying to ring out he's, every he's, last... He's cup chasing. Every last little bit of hockey they can get they're, 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 they're trying to sell like the the last gasp jerseys but he right? still like, score goals so he's useful to the team and he's can always I ask you re- kind of been a piece of shit which makes the story uh, even better can i ask you really quick before we get into it uh how does the free agency in hockey compare to like the nba and the nfl and whatnot like uh, is it is it the same thing where players more, go more here and there NFL, and everywhere probably more akin to the nba it's it during the offseason it gets crazy but in season it's not as... okay okay thank you now Corey perry has started off the year okay he's scoring goals he's still playing pretty good he's 38 uh so i mean whatever the expectation was i think he's exceeding that and then, just kind of out of nowhere, they said, hey, he's going to take some time away from the team. And we were like, what? That's kind of weird, right? And so today, they announced that they are waiving him and terminating his cut. contract. Straight cut. Now, there's a lot of 
rumors, speculation, and speculations going on, innuendo as to why this happened. Travis, did they say initially? Did they say it was for uh, personal reasons that he was taking a step yeah. away from the team? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So the rumor going around, Travis, and we don't know this to be true, is that Corey Perry has been fucking Bedard's mom. <laughs> what? Yes. By the way, Melanie Bedard is 45 years old. Uh, a bit of a MILF, Travis. A good-looking gal. she is still married to Connor Bedard's dad. Oh, no. Oh, so she's been cheating on... Oh, no. Her- See, that's the problem with these like young athletes who have moms who are still kind of hot. They get plugged in with these like professional athletes all yeah. of a sudden. And who, they have, like, who've ac- had what they wanted for the last 20 yeah. years. And they have access to these professional athletes and they're like, ooh, I can bang a professional athlete. Oh, I wonder how that'll fracture. if it, it, Allegedly, obviously. I wonder how that'll <laughs> fracture the relationship between uh, Bedard and his mother. <laughs> I don't know, Travis, but... Well, she's the one that took him to all those hockey games when he was growing up. <laughs> so, I mean, you gotta love mom. There was... there yeah, was yeah, pay, it, pay it forward. There was guys <laughs> doing the timeline, Travis. They were saying, oh, they had a mother's weekend where they went on a two-game road trip, and that's when Corey slipped in. It's a lot of fun to watch. I'm sure that it'll never, like, come up. You know, nobody will ever be like, yeah, he totally fucked my mom. You know... It'll, co- it'll come out. Uh, after he's done playing <clears throat> because nobody's going to the, the, the league is not going to want that to come out. Right. So they're going to bury it um, just like a lot of NFL stuff doesn't. You don't hear about like the actual nitty gritty, awesome NFL shit until like 20 years after the fact, because they got to like not have bad press for the league. Right. It's just like that. Uh, uh, you didn't hear about like uh, Josh McDaniels, the uh, the former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. You didn't hear about the issues that he was having in Denver uh, until he got fired from Las Vegas, and then you all of a sudden get all these reports about how he was just such this, just this awful <laughs> dickhead, uh, strutting around like he was the second coming. Uh, so like, there's always time between these. So I think if you keep this in in the back of your head, you're gonna get your answers in about 15 yeah. years. So on a personal note, I would not mind if my beloved St. Louis Blues go out and sign Corey Perry. Corey Perry. Oh, it'd be a good way to get the rivalry going again. Well, right? Then you know. Stick him we're, right we're on We're still there. in it, and he can still score goals, so... We signed the guy who banged your prospect's mom. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. I, actually, I'm rooting for that now. <laughs> that game would actually be amazing where they finally clash again, like when they play yeah, each other, and like fight? Bedard has to face them. Just play uh, uh, George Michael's father figure at every yeah. uh, intermission. <laughs> and then Every like, stop at be- play, just... Doom, doom, doom. As this is an individual personnel matter, I will not be be able to disclose any details related to the initial reporting, investigation, or the findings. However, I do want to be very clear on this one point. This does not involve any players or their families, and anything that suggests otherwise, or anyone that suggests otherwise, is wildly inaccurate, and frankly, it's disgusting. Probably none of it's true, Travis, I'm but sure I, I want it all I'm to be your true. daddy songs that, that we could throw in there, yeah. I'm sure. Drunk, uh, I think that I'm going to just say my pick of the week is the new Mountain Goats album. I reached out because I enjoyed it. Uh, so, yeah, that's an easy one for me is uh, uh, Jenny from Thebes. It's available now. Uh, I like all of the Mountain Goat stuff. I just go to the This Is the Mountain Goats on Spotify and just click play. 
Uh, so yeah, that's an easy one for me. Is the new Mountain Goats album? Drunk, do you have a pick of the week? Mm, I will after Travis does his. Oh, Travis has, has had some time to collect picks of the week. So yeah, I he, he needs has... drunk needs a little time to pick one up. Uh, yeah. So uh, during my sabbatical, while I was uh, doing on my on my soul searching journey, I had the chance to, uh, and I'm late to the party on this. Binge through over the course of a couple of weeks, Last Chance You. Uh, it's a Netflix original series. I don't know if I've ever heard to, of that. It's very good. There's there's five. I guess they call they call them parts, but really they're five seasons. Uh, they follow three schools, <laughs> not at the same time. So the first two seasons is a school, uh, the uh, uh, Eastern Mississippi Community College. Uh, the second season I think is like a Kansas Community College, and then the last season's like an Oakland community college uh laney college so what this is is like the castaways from d1 uh football programs where you know they got into some hot water uh something happened with the law or you know some of these kids who who didn't qualify to go to like a d1 or d2 school because of their grades or any issues that they may have had so they end up at these community colleges trying to beef up their playing and their game film as well as get their academics right so they can maybe hopefully end up in a D1 school or a D2 school, either on a scholarship or as a walk-on. And there's a lot of really amazing interpersonal dynamics. A lot of these kids' stories that show up at these universities so this is are a, like... This is a reality program? Yeah, it's like a straight... Yeah, it's not It's not fictional. It's a, it's 100% reality-based, um, shot like documentary. Every episode, you know, there it's, it's like a doc. It's like shot like documentaries. Huh. Um, but I think everyone is like eight or 10 episodes, but, uh, the first two coaches that are, uh, in like the first two schools are just fucking head cases. Like the first, I mean, they just swearing and freaking out and looking like they're going to have a heart attack. The last coach <laughs> is a little bit more level headed. Um, but yeah, it's all just trying to get these kids, um, get everything straightened out with them to hopefully be able to take their talent into uh, division one or division two universities. It's a very interesting. There's a lot of heartfelt uh, stories from these children's uh, and some of their background. And uh, yeah, just a very entertaining watch. Uh, Last chance university, Netflix original. I do believe they've moved on from football. Uh, I think the last season of the football program was uh, 2020. I think that they've moved on from football to basketball, which I don't give two shits about. So I will not be watching that. <laughs> How do I get through to these kids? You want one upside the head, motherfucker? <laughs> uh, that Coach Jenks from a couple weeks ago, Travis. You remember him? Oh, your shit out so motherfucking bad. Yeah, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Drunk's pick of the week. Uh, we're down to the nitty gritty. We're at the final four of the MLS. Ooh. So the championship game will be December 9th. So uh, Major League Soccer. Major who's in? The, who's in that American League uh, Finals? Well, I know on the side that St. Louis was in, it was it's L.A. versus. Um, oh, the L.A. Galaxy. That's no, who. Uh, L.A.F.C. What happened to L.A. Galaxy? They're not as good as L.A.F.C. They have. How's uh, How's Beckham's Miami League doing? Uh, well, now that he's got Messi, not so bad. Oh. Uh, let's see here. Ba -ba -ba -ba. What is that on television? So it's LAFC versus Houston Dynamo in the West, and in the East it is Cincinnati versus Columbus. Interesting. And Major who, who are you rooting League for? Soccer. Uh, I'm rooting for probably Cincinnati because their head coach went to Desmet. Oh, Desmet. Yeah. Fun. Guys, we did it. 
Um, check out uh, the, the Mountain Goats. Check out uh, our stuff, Travis. Where do we send people? WFODshow.com. WFODshow.com uh, for all Stitcher. of the, the archives. Uh, Twitter, or I guess X. Pablo had a cocaine I'll, zoo. I'll never call it an X. H-I-P. <laughs> well, I'm Bill Dannon. listening to this installment of WFOD. If you enjoyed it, subscribe so you don't miss the next one on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or your player of choice. While you're there, please take a moment to share a link, tell a friend, leave a review, or do any of the other things podcasts ask you to do. Our operation is 100% independent, so your support is appreciated. We don't advertise, so we rely on word of mouth to spread the gospel of the dub fod. The music featured in this podcast is provided by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. You can leave us a question or comment via telephone on the hand hotline at 636-487-HAND or by email at mike at wfodshow.com. Special thanks, as always, to our Patreon sponsors, Assistant Treads, Benny Michaels, Brian Kranz, Liquid Lozenge, Valerie Carpenter, Jay Adson, and Rabbit Poundings. You can be a Patreon sponsor yourself for as little as a dollar a month and receive early access to episodes at patreon.com slash WFODicks. Our entire back catalog is available on WFODshow.com, as well as cola rankings, flat drunks, and more. Check us out on social media at WFODshow on Twitter and Instagram, or WFODicks on Facebook and YouTube. We'll be back next week, but really, we're never gone. Take care. Oh, it's over.